0: Time now for another Thrash Pie radio podcast. This is where I get to celebrate the pure rock years of Southern California's heavy metal flagship, KNAC-FM. I am Thrash Pie, the favorite guy. Gosh, we're way into this now, and we're going to be hearing from really one of my mentors in the radio business and and in life to a great degree. Gary Price is the subject of the next uh, several podcasts. And um, it's going to be time well spent, I am sure. Now, the, the the history of the radio station doesn't always involve Gary. He came to it just prior to the pure rock era of it, and is quite responsible for it, as you'll as you'll hear. The most interesting character that I never met actually was the owner of the radio station, Fred Sands. Fred Sands is a very six. Pardon was a very successful realtor. Uh, in the Beverly Hills area, made a ton of money um, and made great investments. And one of those, one of his oddball investments, I should say, was the radio station KNAC. He bought it at an auction, an FCC auction, and was bidding up against... Uh, some rather heavyweight other broadcast companies who were looking for a presence in the L.A. radio market. Fred wound up with the station probably because it was somewhat overvalued. <laughs> Maybe he might have paid too much. I really I really don't know the end of that story. But it was Fred Sands who got Gary Price involved.
1: Uh, I had read in the paper that he had bought the radio station. I got a meeting with him, and my first meeting was I, I wanted to be his radio uh, guy and build a, a chain of radio stations. I said, you know, you got one, let's let's go out and buy four or five more, and up and down the coast, and and, and build you a chain of radio stations. And he said, no, no, I don't want to do that. I, you know, I got one. Let's see how that works. and Blah blah blah. I said, okay. So that was the end of the meeting. And then about I don't know six eight months later, some period of time later. Uh, I got a call from the secretary saying, uh, are you, would you be available to meet with Fred? And I said, yeah, what's it concerning? She said, well, he's, he'd like to talk to you about the radio station. I said, oh, okay, I wasn't sure what that was all about. So I go in and he said, would you be interested in uh, coming in and running the radio station? Apparently he had decided to fire the guy that he'd hired as general manager. And I said, yeah, you know, I'll take, I'll, I'll do that, yeah. I thought in the back of my mind that this is going to be a stopover. I didn't think, you know, Long Beach, I'm living in Encino. My background was L.A. Radio. I thought, well, you know, I have nothing else to do, and I'm broke, so I better take the job. (laughs) I said, yeah, I take the job. And he said, okay, great. He said that they scheduled another meeting, and we met another another time a few days later. And he said, okay. He said, Monday morning, uh, I want you to go down there and take over. I said, okay. He said, here's the address, and uh, ask for Nikki Randolph. And I was kind of shocked that he wasn't going to go down with me and introduce me to the staff. And I said, okay. So I go down there, find the radio station, and it's in an awful building, in awful shape. I mean, it was it was just a pig pen. The carpets were stained, and they didn't match. They little patches of old carpet thrown out that got sewed together. The equipment was 1910, it was dirty and horrible. The place was a mess. I thought, oh, my God, what have I got myself into? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so from there, we went into uh, building a facility, which uh, Fred was very liberal with uh, with the expenses on that because he built a really nice radio station. Was state of the art equipment, and uh, we put that together. We were on the air for a while, and he said, "You know, I think we ought to talk to these consultants and see, we, you know, what else we can do with the radio station." I said, "Okay." So he made a luncheon with Pollock. I think was the name of him, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so we had oh, the, sure. Fred and I. Fred and I had lunch with Pollock and made a deal that they would uh, they would consult us on a new format, which turned out to be the. Uh, to a rock-heavy metal format, and of course, it had to be kept absolute secret. Tell nobody, and we didn't. Nobody in the radio station knew about it. So then, uh, the morning we f- fired up the heavy metal, and away we went. Yeah, rock was born.
0: Exactly. So, describe your relationship with Fred, if you would. He as a you know, almighty investor, and and you as the guy that suddenly wound up with this mess to clean up.
1: Well, he was uh, he was a good guy to work for. He's a little different than your average Joe he left me alone. He didn't hear, he never got in my kitchen. As long as I showed a profit and kept him out of trouble, we didn't get sued. and The FCC didn't come after us. You know, I made, I made him some money. But if I took care of those three things, he pretty much stayed away from me. We would meet on a regular basis. I was always reporting on the progress of the radio station, uh, profit and loss and all those business type things. But, uh, he never really got involved in the radio station. You know, he was, uh, He'd take a deep breath every once in a while, and i told him what kind of music we were going to play and what kind of concerts we were going to do. And and he would always, you know, he was a little nervous about, it. And, you know, is there any liability here? Of course, there was tremendous liability, and I'd always say no.
0: <laughs> All right, so the first format was the rock and rhythm. Now, Jimmy Christopher was still in place there. Yeah. Uh, and, course, and now I understand Nikki was there also. And you were brought in pretty much to fix things. What gave you the idea to change the format of the radio station to what's called pure rock now?
1: Well, the, the, I didn't feel the radio station was going to go anywhere. It wasn't attracting any attention. It was a nice-sounding little radio station. with a nice format. It was very listenable, but uh, there was nothing about it that made you uh, want to get involved. It was, it was, we, so I, I thought we needed to have a radio station that was uniquely different in the marketplace, and that had attitude, and that would create a fan base. You know, we would have people who really cared about the radio station that would, that would get involved with us, and, and to do that, we needed young people. And to have young people, we needed young people music, and. Uh, you know, it was a it was a stepping stone. One step led to the next, to the next, to the next. And Fewer Rock fit pretty well with the heavy metal format that we wanted to do. And uh, and when we did the heavy metal, we got very enthusiastic, passionate fans of the radio station because they loved that music, and we were the only guy in town playing it. KLOS wouldn't play it, and uh, I don't know who the other guy was. KMET, I think, right? Well, maybe KMET, maybe Kiss. Uh, there was a yeah. station across the, across the way. I can't remember. K-Rock,
0: maybe. Maybe K-Rock? Now, I don't
1: K-Rock know. K-Rock was alternative. Now, they yeah. they, weren't they
0: were the ones you were you were heading away from, pretty much, yeah, with the exactly. uh, yeah. rock and rhythm yeah. format.
1: We scored very well in the 18-34 to 34 demographic in L.A. So even though we had a limited signal, we were still, like, top four, top five in the market.
0: Well, did uh, was there any seminal event that uh, turned your head towards that? audience that was being ignored.
1: Well, after talking to Pollock, you know, he was telling me that this music had a tremendous following all over the country. And L.A. was one of the markets that wasn't, uh, was for some reason, the major markets were staying away from it. I don't know why. But he said, you know, there's, there's an audience out there for this music and if you guys program it. You'll be the only ones in town doing it. And uh, it, it should work for you. And it did.
0: Yeah, so I assume then that the uh, Tommy Hedges and uh, and Jeff Pollock didn't know much about you know that audience and how they'd respond either, right?
1: Well, I don't think anybody had a lot of experience with it. It was pretty brand new, but 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 Pollock knew based on record sales and concert attendance. I mean, there was indicators that there was there was an audience out there. All
0: right. So when you tasked uh, Jimmy Christopher. And Nikki to to uh, clear the decks and start this whole thing. How how did that process roll out?
1: They both had a heart attack. <laughs>
0: that's pretty much what they said. By the way, yeah. that's yeah. pretty much what they said. And the reaction of of their staffs.
1: Uh, it was pretty negative. Uh, we had one guy in the sales staff who stood up and said, "Well, I went to the conference room and called everybody in, and I made the announcement. Here's what we're going to do." And uh, one of the sales guys in there stood up and said, "Well, who in the hell would ever advertise on a station like that?" And I said, "Okay, you have a nice day.
0: <laughs> have a nice yeah. walk down back to your car. yeah, stay in touch." <laughs> 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 so
1: it wasn't it wasn't real uh, positive. A lot, most of the staff were going, huh? Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> right, Here we go. But there was a few outspoken people who decided it was really a dumb idea. And I said, eh, maybe. Let's give it a shot anyway. We're going to do it. So We did.
0: what kind of input did you have with the uh, initial sort of promotion in the whole thing? Because, uh, you know, it was pretty much guerrilla warfare, what the, uh, you know, promotion department was doing. Did you have input with that, or what did you think of that? I was involved in it, but,
1: you know, the, the people in the motion, promotion department did, did the work and came up with the ideas, and then that would be discussion you know, which one we should go with and how we should approach it. I mean, I was kind of like just managing it, just overseeing it. I, I, I was involved to some degree. In fact, one of the things that I did do was uh, we were going to do the last t-shirt because we knew the radio station was going to be sold. So they were all, the promotion guys and people and girls were all saying, well, what do we put on the shirt? They've got to put a message on the back of the shirt. And they were just racking their brains and coming up with all the writing stuff on the chalkboard and blah, 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 blah. And I said, why don't you just put last shirt. Brilliant. <laughs> That's what we
0: did. Right. And it was as, as brilliant as the initial and probably the best advertisement for that little station ever. And radio, and it was a lesson for all other radio stations across the country was that bumper sticker. What's the origin of that?
1: Well, the bumper sticker campaign was awesome. I mean, it just, it ruled Los Angeles. No radio station came close to our bumper sticker campaign. It, I mean, it was the in thing to do, to have that bumper sticker on your car. And there were thousands of them out there, hundreds of thousands, I guess. Uh, I just felt that we needed to get exposure any way we could. Uh, I made a deal with Gazaris to paint their wall and put our logo on it. I had some kid, I barely knew his name, uh, who had connections with the Lakers going into the locker room with a KNAC microphone with our call letters on the microphone so the cameras could see our call letters.
0: Oh, man, that guy, Casey, that guy. He was a Long Beach bus driver.
1: <laughs> yeah, we did everything we could to get our call letters out in front of people, and uh, the bumper stickers and the T-shirts, but especially the bumper stickers were a, a huge part of that exposure.
0: Yeah, who designed the sticker?
1: Well, that was a combination of uh, Fred's art director up there and myself. The, <laughs> the art director at the time, working for Fred, was a real, he was a dope smoker. And... uh he had a real buzz on when he was creating this thing. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, okay, but why don't we do this when we do that? And we kind of kicked it back and forth, kind of collaborated. The two of us came up with the with the Pura Rock and the design, so we went with
0: it. It really is a lesson for all other radio station bumper sticker advertisements that have really ever been done. I've never seen one with a clearer message and a more outstanding uh, appearance you know, it's you can see that damn thing from a hundred yards away, and you know what it is. A lot of radio stations just, you know, they just jumble their message, and there's nothing, there's no clarity in anything that they uh, stick on the back of a car. It could it could mean anything. It could say anything.
1: You know? Well, it took it took the the passion of of our listeners. I mean, we we didn't just have listeners; we had fans. I mean, they, we had people who loved the radio station they 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 were out there in our behalf promoting the radio station. If, if your audience is not involved in your radio station, if this is something they listen to and don't really care, they're not going to go out of their way to put a bumper sticker on their car. They don't give a damn. But if they really care about the radio station and they really care about the people on the air and all of the involvement and all the concerts and everything, then they will. They will go out and promote the hell out of your radio station, and they did.
0: They absolutely did. Um isn't it interesting how everybody we've talked to, program directors, um, on-air staff, everyone goes back to the audience and that the audience is the critical part of the of the whole project. And, and it's absolutely true. And, it, and that that audience was found uh, was what I was getting to when I asked Gary about a seminal event. Now, what I was... Hoping he was going to say, because I've actually heard him say that before, is the four Iron Maiden concerts that happened at the Long Beach Arena some six, eight months or so before KNAC went on the air in the Pure Rock uh, in the pure rock format, because that if there was ever an indicator that there was an audience out there that didn't have a radio station playing their music, it was those four concerts. I mean, not to mention the Judas Priest concert. And I got to say, the Long Beach Arena was pretty much the, the pivot point of a lot of those concerts. It was uh, easy for those uh, acts to get booked in there. Gary also talks, as a manager talks, as an Entrepreneur talks. He looks at the decisions that he makes, rather than taking credit for the decisions and the results that uh, that happened as a result of his decisions. Um, so, he, in my opinion, he he sells himself a little bit short because um, I see it as Gary um, as the the real. Force behind the whole thing. He also talks about the consultants there, uh, Jeff Pollock and Tommy Hedges. They're a local guys. They're out in the Palisades, and they're known throughout the radio industry as as great consultants. And they were employed by Fred, as uh, as Gary told it there. Fred Sands, being the the investor, the owner of the station, um, and I see that now as uh, they were. He he hired them as a research arm for Gary. To, to use in making his decision as to where the the radio station and its format was going to go. So it's quite interesting. Gary made it sound like oh Pollock made the decision. That's not true. Gary Price made the decision after having the Pollock uh, consultancy do that research and show him those numbers. A great, great decision maker, our friend Gary Price. I'll have more insight into the pure rock years of KNAC-FM and future podcasts, and I'll be talking more with Gary, Gary Price, our general manager, my mentor. Uh, I have a couple of personal stories that I'd like to pass along to you, and we'll hear some interesting stories from Gary himself about the radio station and its worldwide influence. In the meantime, your comments and correspondence of any kind are always welcome at Thrashpyradio at gmail.com. Give us a like and a share. Keep your eye on your Facebook page for the next Thrash Pie Radio podcast.